Episode number five. We're going to talk about home security, burglars, robbers, and safe rooms. This is the Crime School Radio Show, where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert, Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. On today's show, we'll talk about the subject close to all of us, how to protect our home and those in our home. I'm actually a guest on someone else's show. I was interviewed by Dunnigan Kaiser from the Reluctant Prepper Show over on the YouTube channel. The topic was home security. Like some of my guests here at Crime School, I had no idea what questions would be asked or where the interview might go. So what follows is a partial recording from that interview where I gave remarks off the top of my head about home security and my thoughts about preventing crimes like home burglary, home invasion robbery, and my personal strategy for creating and using a safe room in your home. So sit back, I think you'll enjoy the show. On your website, crimedoctor.com, you've got articles, uh, pages specifically devoted to home security and home invasion prevention and survival. So if you could, uh, with the limited uh, time available here in this format, uh, hit some of the high points that that press to to your mind when you're approaching an individual homeowner about steps that they should take to, to assess and to improve the physical security of their residence. Okay, because we're talking about two different criminal types for the most part. A, a burglar, almost by definition, they're going to burglarize an unoccupied dwelling. So your single-family home, your condominium, your apartment, the criminal does not want you home. They want to be able to break in or walk in, steal all of your stuff, and walk out undetected. So it's that simple. So ordinary common home security techniques will be effective against this type of a uh, criminal. Either with home burglary or home invasion, robbery. Uh, If you think of your home as as a box, it's got six sides to the box, a ceiling, a floor, four walls, and the only entryway into the box is through doors and through windows. And when you think of it in that way, it becomes a simple matter. Well, I could fortify these windows or those doors. Again, depending on the risk. If you live in a upscale area, a low crime area, then you don't need to do too much. Probably just closing your door and locking the door, latching the window is good enough. If you're in a high risk area or you have a high risk lifestyle, then maybe you need to do a little more. Maybe you need to fortify those openings a little better. And there's uh, techniques and strategies to do that. And I won't go into that unless you ask me specifically. In that regards, are there some kind of uh, most common uh, gaps that you see when people are, when you look at residential properties and, and you, what are the most common um, gaping uh, vulnerabilities that you see in that regards, though? Sure. People leave their doors and windows standing open. I mean, I I could take you into almost any neighborhood in any city and drive down the street. We'll find a home, a single family home now with the garage door standing open. 
and the the door leading inside the house from the garage is unlocked or the front door is standing open for ventilation in the summer or the windows are open for ventilation and this is during the day and at nighttime you can literally drive down the street and pick the house that is easily accessible and that's the way criminals work i mean they're they're not that smart they're not that talented they don't have a lot of skills they're probably intoxicated on alcohol or drugs uh, so they don't want to do a lot of heavy lifting. They're going to take the path of least resistance. So they're looking for the easy target. So that's obviously one of the strategies. In your neighborhood, you don't want to be the most, you don't want to be the easiest target in your neighborhood. If a burglar has got his mindset on burglarizing someone, let him get someone else. Let him get the guy down the street, but not you. So if your place presents itself from the street as being one that is more secure, more often than not, they'll just bypass you. Now, in the area of home invasion, uh, some of our listeners uh, have made uh, significant preparations for potential uh, natural disasters or man-made uh, social unrest by, by stocking up some uh, necessities of life, foodstuffs, water, um, that sort of thing, and may be concerned that if there were some cause for unrest, that they would become a natural uh, attraction to someone beyond the typical um, sort of burglary crime that might happen in a normal uh, society. They might be concerned about the potential for home invasion by people who are highly motivated, uh, trying to seek out, you know, uh, life, foodstuffs of life, whatever that they need to, to survive if, if people think that they have uh, what other people want. Um, so I think that if we could shift the topic to the assumption of a more persistent or more uh, dangerous uh, type of a threat than a than a burglar who would like to just get in and out silently and, and peacefully. Um, if we could shift the topic to home invasion, what's different about that scenario? Well, that's not home invasion. You just jumped two giant leaps past the typical topic of home invasion. Well, let's take one step then. If we could, <sighs> if we could transition the discussion to what's different about a home invasion uh, rather than a typical burglary. A uh, home invader is a different animal. He's a robber. That's why they call them home invasion robbers. They want you home, unlike the burglar. They want to get access either to you personally for some reason, or they want you home so they don't have to deal with alarm systems, maybe dogs. Uh, they want you to direct them to all the good stuff, you know, where the hidden money is, the hidden jewels, the hidden weapons, the drugs, whatever, whatever they're into. You're going to help them get that. Plus, that once they got control of everyone in the house, they could take their sweet time and they could ransack the whole house. Let me kind of give you a, a typical scenario. You might be home any given weekend night with your family watching TV. Your kids might be off in their other room and you hear a knock on the door. And someone just simply goes and just opens the front door without looking outside. And in they come, typically two or three home invader robbers will rush in in the first 30 seconds. They're going to beat you down. They're going to secure you somehow, get everybody in the house all together and, and just be in control. Once they have your household and you in control, they could take their time and they can completely ransack your house. There are, I hear from victims all the time that uh, the robbers spent the night in the house. They, they took everything. They loaded up all your stuff and put it in your car, took your keys that they have access to, and they could drive off in it. 
They can make sure your alarm system's disabled. They can make sure your phones are disabled so you don't you can't call for help. They can get ac get access to your credit cards, your ATM cards, your passcodes. I mean, they they can get everything. They get access to your computer information and pretty much take their time. And those are just property crimes. Now, if they have other interests, if they want to assault you, they want to hurt you, they want to kill you, they want to molest people in the household, uh, that could occur too. So it's a very, very serious situation. So to that extent, you want to prepare your family and your home to deal with that home invader. And there's a and whole- in preparing for a home invasion, what are some of the first steps that people should, should look to? Well, it's a graduation from the burglary preparedness in preparing those doors and those windows. Those are the entry ports. So you start shutting places down and, and fortifying those openings. So I always tell people, the clients that hire me to, to help them through this process, is you need to start from the beginning and you need to have a family plan. You need to have a family meeting. If you're a family of one, you have a meeting with yourself. If you have a larger family, you meet with everyone. And you talk about this concept. Now, I do these things sometimes with neighborhoods. And we'll start, we'll all huddle together, we'll go out on the street, and we'll just look at someone's house from the street and say, okay, everybody pretend that you're a burglar or a home invader. How would you approach this house? And everybody come up with different ideas. But it's surprising that it's how obvious it is. Everybody will say, well, here's a window standing open. I would go for that. Or if I go up and knock on the door, or I would look under the mat for the hidden key or the flower pot or, or wherever, you know, something might be hidden. And pretty soon they could start, they'll see for themselves, man, if I just close these windows, or if I want to have molten for ventilation, I'm going to put a secondary device in the window, like a little dowel or stick in the track that'll prevent it from opening more than six inches. I'm going to fortify the deadbolt on my front door. I'm going to make sure my door is nice and strong. And I'm going to put a heavy-duty strike plate in that door. So simply, someone can't simply come up and kick the door open. That they're going to have to make a lot of racket before they get through that door. And then you talk about in your family meeting about having a plan. If someone knocks on the door or rings the bell, you have to teach your family to not simply walk up and open the door. Even if you believe you live in the best neighborhood in the country, you need to find out who's on the other side of the door before you open it. Plain and simple. And you have to teach all of the children that technique. That alone will prevent probably the majority of the, uh, the home invasion uh, robbers that are able to get immediate access to you. Now, the same thing goes with windows. Uh, windows uh, can be broken if you, if you live a high-risk lifestyle or if you're in a high crime enough of an area, then you might have to fortify those windows a bit more. And there's strategies uh, for that, from preventing them from being forced open to prevent the glass from being broken. There's different, different types of glazing you can get to make the window uh, shatterproof or at least delay entry for a period of time so you can get the police coming, get the cavalry coming. So that's a standard technique in all of this stuff. You want to put up significant barriers. You want to make the property look safer from the street. One good way is have that alarm sign in your, in your lawn advertising that I have an alarm or I might have an alarm. That alarm might be set. If you break in, that alarm might go off. The police might come and arrest you. For most burglars or home invaders, that's enough. Why not just go down the street and get the home without those systems in place? 
or they might come up and try your door. If the door is locked, they can't get in, they might put their shoulder to it. They might try to kick it a couple of times. If they don't get in, then they'll simply go down to the, uh, the next place. And then you add layers to that. As your risk gets higher or you have a greater desire to be more safe, you could add layer on top of layer on top of layer until you're living in a bunker. Now, some of our uh, viewers had sent in questions about that they wouldn't want to, the first indication to them to be when somebody was right actually at their door, but they would want to know uh, whether someone was coming onto their property, uh, coming even close, that sort of thing. Are there specific techniques that you recommend for that, for perimeter uh, monitoring? You know, unfortunately, that's too vague of a question. A perimeter doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know how far away that is. I don't know if there's any structures in between. I don't know what the sight lines are, what kind of visibility we have. But just going with the vague question, I mean, that's what fences are for, things that define your property line. So even if it's a low fence, and I take groups out all the time and show them, here's a property with a fence that's about three feet high. Well, you can almost step over it. But that low fence defines that beyond that fence is private property. Now, if you support that with a sign, a no trespassing sign, for example, a beware of dog sign, I got to beware of dog sign on my gate. And guess what? I don't own a dog. Or people will put a, a dog bowl out on their front porch, this big bowl. Or a, or a collar out there with a large neck size to indicate maybe you have a large dog. I mean, things like that are in the areas before you get to the door that are sort of sending the signal to, you know, potential burglars or home invasions that this is a protected house. So a fence, a gate, the fence could be varying heights. It just depends on, on what the situation is. I mean, there's some high-tech James Bond type solutions, there's alarm perimeter alarm systems, there's laser systems, there's infrared systems, I mean there's uh, alarm things you could put underground, uh, sensors, motion sensors, noise detectors, I mean you could, you can go, uh, <laughs> you know, very deep into all these things if, if uh, your need is that great or your paranoia level is that high. Bringing it back to the actual uh, door, front door of the home being a common point of entrance if people were uh, subject to a home invasion, um, if either the uh, family made a mistake and opened the door without, without really you know, determining that the people on the other side uh, are, are legitimate or that sort of thing, or if the actual door gets forced in uh, despite having been strengthened, um, what are, what are the next considerations that should be part of a family's plan if actually a threat uh, enters the home? Well, at that point, it should be about escape. Someone that's part of your family plan, and you have to decide if, if that's what you're willing to do. But it, uh, in my opinion, someone should always be trained to escape and then know what to do when they escape. Basically, they want to get the police coming. They want the cavalry coming. That sort of starts the stopwatch. Uh, letting the evaders know that the police are coming and, and now, you know, I got to get out of there. So, however you do that, depending on the configuration of your house, if you have back doors, if you have windows, people can get out, have a plan. And every family member, when they, they'll really get into this too, about where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, and if I'm going to run to the next door neighbor's house or across the street or exactly what I'm going to do, you, you work out all those details. And you could have drills, you could do it once a year. Some places do that. They have an annual review of their 
home security plan at the same time they change the batteries in their smoke detectors or their alarm panel or they review their escape plan or any preparation they have uh, th that's when they do it and that uh that's an interesting concept about the somebody having a designated role of being the one to be the one to escape and to call for help um i know when we had a uh uh, Navy SEAL on uh, talking about uh, a, a related topic, he said, that's not the time to be making up the plan in the heat of the moment. You already have to have that figured out. Who's the one that's going to call for help and who's the one that's basically going to deal with, or if there is anybody who's going to have to deal with additional actions taken inside the home um, so that you're not scrambling for whose job it is and, and nobody ends up making the call for help, that sort of thing. Right. What other jobs beyond that? Uh, the other consideration that comes to mind is in uh, like concealed carry training where they talk about the um, domestic castle uh, you don't have a, a legal duty to retreat from your own uh, home that you that you have a reasonable uh, expectation that if you if you fear based on someone invading that that your family is at, is at risk of serious harm because that, that person invaded knowing full well that you were there, um, that you don't automatically have a duty to retreat. But it sounds like from what you're saying, it's a very practical matter is that if someone at least retreats that they can, if they escape, they can, that they can call for help. What about those who, who would remain behind? What are, what actions should they, what roles and what preparations should they make? Well, you, you could keep changing the scenario where you're at the point where all you, all you could do is give up. I mean, that's not where you want to be. That's not what planning's about. And if you and if you constantly propose that, well, what if you didn't lock your door? What if you left your windows open? What if you didn't have an escape plan? What if you didn't do anything? Well, we call them victims. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, that's what you are. You're a victim, and you're planning to be a victim because you're not prepared. So I propose that you do things in layers. You don't start off with the most extreme cases, because I have I have wealthy clients who you know have nothing else to do with their money and they want this safe room in their house and they want to build this elaborate thing like a bunker and in almost every case when I go back and revisit them uh, this elaborate project they put together now is the junk room it's the closet that <laughs> they simply don't use it for the purpose intended because it isn't something that they use every day. So the best preparation for home burglary or home invasion is something, it's a routine. It's something that you're going to do every single day. It's part of your lifestyle. It's so seamless in your daily life that you're not even aware that you're doing something that has a protective benefit. So it's just like locking the doors every time, setting the alarm system every time you leave, making a lap of the house every night before you go to bed to make sure all the windows are, are secured. All of those kind of things you have to make as, as part of your routine. But for the people at home, just going with your questions, should someone get in, that's where you need to have this plan and a number of alternatives. Part of the escape might not be leaving the house. Some of the escape might just be uh, retrieving back to a room. I propose to most people that that room be your master bedroom. That's where most of your good stuff's going to be anyway. If you're likely to have weapons, that's where it's going to be. But you prepare that room. And if you can get just a couple of steps on an intruder, break away long enough to get a couple of steps, you could usually get to that room and close the door behind you. Okay, so that begs the question. Well, that door then has to become a significant barrier. You have to prepare it. 
most interior home bedroom doors are not capable of being a good barrier. They're often just hollow core, inexpensive doors. Um, many or most don't have locks on them. And the strike plates are, are not sufficient. You could just simply kick that door open easily and they're on you. So if you're concerned about that, and I've, I've worked with some uh, wealthy people and made some really nice safe rooms with uh, a doorway that looks and matches the interior decor. So it doesn't have to be some ugly, you know, steel type door. It could just right. be some solid core door. I usually recommend that they flip it over and turn it around backwards so it swings out to you rather than in. Right. It's much more difficult to kick. I'll usually have them replace the wood door jam with a steel one. Now, you could paint that up, and it looks identical. You can't tell that it's a steel door jam. Put a heavy-duty, you know, grade one uh, lock on it. Uh, have a deadbolt where when you run in and slam the door behind you, there's different ways. You could have it so it will automatically latch and lock automatically, but that means you're gonna, someone's going to get locked out a lot. There are some issues if you have children. If you have a, a room that could be locked, your children may lock themselves inside. That, that could be a problem, but depending on what your family situation is. But you have a door that once you close it and you lock it, it becomes a significant barrier where it gives you minutes, you know, if not hours, of protection. So once you're in that room, you have to have communication capability. So that's a room where you're going to want to have a direct dial phone. Now, remember, I said direct dial, not cell phone. Have cell phone also possibly, but a direct dial phone with a speaker function capability and with one button you can hit. There's actually phones like that. You hit one button and it calls the police. Now, you want it on speaker phone mode because if that's all you do is hit that button and it calls the police dispatcher, they're going to be listening in. They're going to be recording. You could just holler out loud to the uh, intruder, I've called the police. You know, they're coming. They're on the line. The dispatcher hears the urgency. They're going to send out a priority dispatch. Multiple units will respond immediately. You'll hear sirens coming. So no intruder, virtually no intruder, is going to stick around for all of that. So they're going to get out of there. So that, that's a good strategy to have. Some will come back and say, well, they can cut the phone lines. And, you know, what do I do then? Well, there's a lot of what ifs. And that what if hardly ever happens, even though it's possible. So that would be where you have the cell phone as a backup. Now, most people, if they have a cell phone, this could be where you are. So if you're in the kitchen and you get chased away, your cell phone's going to stay in the kitchen. So you need to have a backup plan if you're of that mind. So you usually want to have a charger in that room charging your cell phone. Same way with flashlights or, or anything else. Uh, and then there's just layers you could add on top of it, layer on top of layer on top of a layer. You could have an escape route out planned out through the back, through a door or through a window. If you're on a second story, you could have some sort of a, uh, a ladder set up where you can get down and out. Uh, you could have a fire extinguisher in there if that becomes uh, an issue. Uh, you could have different weapon types in there if that becomes an issue from non-lethal to lethal. It's just layer on top of layer, and depending on the complexity, you have to plan for it, you have to train for it, you have to educate everyone in the family about it, and then when the day comes, when something like this happens, everybody's ready. I mean, they're going to scatter like cockroaches when you turn the light on. People are going to run the different rooms. Maybe someone will get to the safe room, someone will get out a door or, or a window, and, and they're out and gone, and the, uh, 
you know, again, the cavalry's on its way. So I think that's the best plan for the vast majority of people. I wanted to turn, if we could, to a couple of uh, questions uh, that were raised by some of our viewers and uh, see if we have some specific uh, feedback for them. Um, uh, one person lives in a, in a rural community. Uh, they said there's, uh, they have several sliding doors on the outside of their home, uh, but the only practical approach to their house is from a dirt road in their driveway. Um, and uh, wondering if there's um, specific, any changes to the thoughts that you've already shared for people who do not live in a, in a suburban or urban environment, but people who live in a more remote environment, what additional either, you know, uh, vulnerabilities might that provide and what, what kind of countermeasures should people put into their plan for a remote location? Well, the fact that you live in a remote area down a dirt road probably means you have virtually no crime. So that changes the scenario. They're in a better situation than those living in a urban or even a suburban area because they have no crime. Now, the, uh, the vulnerability part is that being isolated, you can scream your head off and no one's going to hear you and no one's going to help you. But that should be an extreme and unlikely situation. But where you're living is still a box, even if it's a uh, manufactured home or, or some older home, and, and like she's describing, sliding uh, doors, even though that's not the ideal scenario, you're in a low-crime area. But there are ways of treating those openings to the box, just like any place else. Those sliding doors can be uh, secured better, so they just can't be popped open by sticks or dowels. Uh, there's devices that prevent the door from being lifted off the track or slid open. There's plastic laminates that could be applied to the sliding uh, door glass, so it can't quickly be broken out and someone step through it. It actually have to chop it with a, like an axe uh, to get through it. You could fortify the doors. You could have the same uh, communication capability to get help coming. Even though in a rural area, uh, I mean, if it's covered by sheriff, it might take them some time to get there. But those are all the choices that we make. I mean, we choose where we live and what lifestyle we want, and with it comes uh, some challenges sometimes. But I think for the most part, that person living out in that rural community is probably better off than those living in a big city. We've had other guests on here echoing that same sentiment, and uh, it's kind of turning to the other end of the spectrum. Uh, we have a viewer who lives in, a, in an urban area, an apartment dwelling. They said because they're not the property owner, they, they can't put bars on the windows. What other alternatives do they have to, to uh, strengthening their windows other than barring them? I think you've mentioned a couple of ideas already. Um, as, as I don't know if they would be able to add this laminate that you're talking to to an apartment window if they want to do something else that they could install on the inside um, to make it more difficult for people to, to use the window as, an, as a point of entrance. Uh, what thoughts for apartment dwellers do you have? Well, I would move, and I'm not being facetious here. I mean, move to a second story anyway. I mean, bars on the window indicates that it's accessible from the ground level. So I'm just reading into it that this person's on the ground level. Ground level apartments are just more vulnerable. And you're right, you don't own it, you didn't install the door, you didn't install the window, and they're not gonna be, want you to make improvements, but you can always ask permission. If you don't wanna move, if that's not an option, ask permission from the landlord that you want to uh, fortify the windows, you want a stronger door, you want a better deadbolt, you wanna fortify the strike plate, put a heavy duty strike plate in there with three-inch screws going into the, uh, the door studs, uh, things like that, they might just say, fine, no problem. 
So you have to at least ask. And I believe we had uh, one more um, question came from uh, a person who says, any tips for a single older woman who lives in a small RV slash camper van? So there, I think we've, we've gone to a, a pretty other extreme of a, what could be potentially a much more vulnerable box. Um, any thoughts that you have for people that are in that situation? Anytime you're in an extreme situation, your options become fewer and fewer. It's just, it's just as simple as, as, as that. Uh, someone could, could come immediately up to your entry door. I'm just using a, a, a visualization of what you told me about. There's probably only one way in, one way out. There's really not a window to get out of. Uh, the doors on those, on those kind of living uh, quarters is not very strong. They usually could be pried open very easily. I mean, there's, uh, there, there's not a whole lot you could do. There's some customizations you could probably do to the outside. You might be able to add on one of those uh, wrought iron type uh, security doors to it to give you a little mm -hmm. bit more support. A big dog, a nice German Shepherd would go a long way. You know, all the basic stuff, lighting, things like that would help with nighttime issues. Not opening the doors to strangers would help. So it really depends on where that unit is parked, I guess. If you park it in a good zip code with a low-crime neighborhood, you're going to not have very many problems. If, you're, if it's uh, located in one of those uh, communities with, for mobile devices, depending on the community, if it's a safe community, your neighbor is going to watch out for you. So I think it's a matter of where it's located more than anything else. There's so much more on this topic. And as you pointed out, uh, layers and layers of... Uh Protection requires uh, extensive thought and planning, and uh, you provide on your website a significant amount of lists of ideas um, and links for people. Are there other resources uh, to, uh, to uh, supplement that, or do you recommend people start out at crimedoctor.com and uh, read the articles you have there on uh, home invasion and, uh, and uh, home security um, as a starting point? And then are there any other, other resources beyond that that you recommend for people? Sure. CrimeDoctor.com has a good cross-section of, of practical advice. Many things we talked about are there, including uh, ideas for constructing a safe room, uh, how to survive a home invasion robbery, about family planning. I talk about many of those same things. I'm starting a new website that's launching next week called Crime School. It'll be CrimeSchool.com. It's going to be a radio talk show, much like what you're doing, audio only, where we will go through virtually every aspect of crime, crime prevention, loss prevention, but more in a, a conversational type presentation rather than articles uh, with industry experts. Uh, you could Google almost any topic you could think of, and now there's a response out there where you can get more information about how to do almost anything. Um, but but the big thing is, is, is planning and then taking action. Uh, most people I find in most situations, after they become victims, then they're highly motivated to, to do something. And the, for an instant, a matter of days or maybe weeks, they intend to do something, but they never quite follow through. And guess what? Those that do follow through, those that do have family plans and, and think about their security of their family, are hardly ever victimized because they're prepared for it. Those that are not become the victims. That's one of the uh, 
uh, ironies or, or, or paradoxes about preparedness is that it can, it can feel like the thing that you put the most effort into is the thing that you don't need. But if you don't, you're almost certain that you need it. What kind of advice do you give people so that they can explain to other family members who may be of the mindset of, ah, you know, uh, just hope for the best, that sort of thing. Is there a way that that's helpful in conveying the sense of responsibility that preparedness brings, even though you hope you never need to use it? Uh, the short answer is no. People are either going to do it or they're not. I think what makes a difference is you make it part of your routine. You just decide, this is what we're going to do. This is part of our life. Walking out, locking the door is just like tying your shoes, you know, brushing your teeth, all the things that we have to do in life. You just do it. It's part of your routine. You don't think about it. It just becomes part of the routine. And by doing that, it makes your life safer. When you drive your car, about locking your doors, about where you park, how you walk, everything that we do in life, if you do it with intention and a purpose and it becomes part of your routine, you're going to do it and you're going to be less likely to ever be victimized. Well, Chris McGoey, founder of CrimeDoctor.com, security expert, thank you so much for joining us here on Reluctant Preppers. Before we let you go, are there any further thoughts that you have for our viewing audience? Just do it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed listening to this interview from the Reluctant Prepper show over at the YouTube channel. Crime School will produce its own show on this topic in a future episode but we intend to go into much more detail about the strategies for preventing crimes like home burglary, home invasion, robbery, preparing that safe room, and creating a family plan to make all this work seamlessly. I want to personally invite you to become part of the community at Crime School by being a student and learning these concepts, or by being a teacher and sharing your expertise about crime and loss prevention subject matter. And finally, taking this knowledge and putting it into practice by making places safe for people and property. You could join the Crime School community by providing your email address in the opt-in box on any page at crimeschool.com website. This will give you immediate access to new audio and video content, articles, networking opportunities, and it will be your gateway to contributing to the content and the discussion. Thanks for listening and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.